everyone, and welcome back to the Data Bytes podcast. I'm your host, Sadie St. Lawrence, and today I am super excited because I have a very special guest, um, Jim McGran, who has been one of my mentors. And um, this is great timing as we wrap up the mentorship program with Women in Data and are starting a new mentorship program. I'm super excited to have this conversation with Jim. I've learned so much from him over the years and, and hopefully we'll continue. This is not the end <laughs> to learn. Yeah, you're not saying um, goodbye, right? Not no, saying this goodbye. is not hopefully <laughs> the end. So really excited um, to have you all meet Jim and talk about mentorship today. So welcome, Jim. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Sadie. Thanks so much for having me. It's it's great. Yeah, so we always start our podcast um, with just what's your story? So everyone has a different leadership story, a different career story, and it's so helpful for the context for the audience to get to know you. So what's your story, Jim? You got it, Sadie. So I think, um, you know, one of the most interesting exercises I ever went through during some leadership training when we, you know, and I'm sure we'll touch on throughout our conversation today, you know, we spent time at VSP together and we did this uh, management team retreat focused on leadership. And we each had to build our, basically our leadership story. And you plotted it on a graph over time. And, and it was interesting to watch how different people uh, took the approach. Some people stayed purely business. Some people wove both personal and business in. And I think for me, it's hard. It's really hard to separate those two things. So for me, like if, if, we're, if we'll stay focused on um, leadership and, and, um, and mentorship, uh, you know, from a life story perspective, I'm the oldest of seven kids, which was, uh, you know, is an interesting birth order position. You're immediately born into a mentorship leadership role, whether you like it or not. Um, and, it, you know, it, it kind of started there, you know, learning about, you know, uh, balance in a big family and, and, uh, and trade-offs and, and really and helping my brothers and sisters over the years, um, you know, manage through life and, and them helping and supporting me. But it's, you know, it was, uh, it was an instant uh, leadership role being the oldest, especially when there's seven kids, because I find in large families, once the parents get past about three, they hand the, the younger ones over to the older ones and they're kind of out of the loop. So it, it started there. And then, you know, I, I learned a lot I, when I, when I talk about mentors in my life, I, you know, I probably wouldn't have described them like this back in, in high school, or even I have a hard time saying it today, but one of my best friends growing up when we were in, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, we did a joint paper out together and we had a lawn mowing business and a snow shoveling business. And I learned so much from him. He's a very entrepreneurial guy has, has had a very successful career in the, in the insurance industry. But even as a young kid, he was very focused on customer service, right? And, and treating the customers with care. And, and I remember one time right around Christmas, he said, you know, we're going to fill out Christmas cards for all the people on our paper route. Uh, I'm like, oh, why are we doing that? And he said, oh, you'll see, you know, the tips will be better if we give him a Christmas card. And he was right. You know, when we compared it to our friends, it was our, our customers thought of us differently. And then they gave us their lawn mowing jobs and their uh, and their uh, snow shoveling jobs because we were we were treating them. So I, I always the guy's name is Dave Jensen. I always give Dave credit when I, I talk about leader leaders and mentors in my life. And then for all of us I, and, you know, uh, obviously family, my parents, my dad with, you know, obviously having seven kids. 
you know, worked really hard, worked seven days a week my whole life, was a, an account executive at Blue Cross in New York and also worked in the security department at the local high school uh, that we all went to as kids. So he was, you know, he just taught me, uh, you know, a work ethic and, and uh, you know, a, a faith, faith-based uh, hard work and, and hard work will pay off. And, and, I, and I still try to live by that today. And, you know, and my mom too, the same thing, not, not so much uh, in the workplace, but uh, the job of raising seven kids with a husband who's working seven days a week uh, I, I don't know that there's a harder job. So also learned a lot from her. And then throughout my career, I think what, it, and you and I may have talked about this in the past. I find that anybody that you're working for, any boss that you've had over your career, you always learn things. And there's some that, uh, you know, to this day, I I find myself quoting them or, or talking about them. And, and for me, that's people like Al Berg, who, you know, Al was one of the founders of Marshawn Eyewear. And, and just different different strategies and ways of thinking about business. I, I, I talked about Al earlier this week on a, on a call I was on. And then there's, there's, other, there's other folks that you've worked for in your career where it's more the opposite. It's, it's the way you watch them treat people or how they handle the situation. You're saying, uh, I, I don't wanna do that, but it's still a learning experience and it's a, it's a mentorship. So. I, I think whatever whatever situation you're in, you try to make the the most of it. So for me, I was um, I was really lucky enough. I I, st my, I started out as an engineer. I went to Columbia University in New York to their engineering school. Uh, was a was an IT consultant for the first half of my career. Uh, then in 1999, moved over to uh, the eye care industry when I joined Marshawn and started working for Al. And then uh, Marshawn was at Marshawn for 10 years as we were growing that business. And then we were sold to VSP and got to spend eight years in Sacramento. Uh, we, I, my wife and I and our family relocated out to Sacramento. That's where we, we were very, very pleasantly got to meet you. And I'm sure we'll talk about that throughout the day. But a lot of great experiences in the, in the move to Sacramento, in the move for, for our family and for, uh, from a business perspective. So got a lot of great um, experience running different parts of that business from the software side, then moving over to the insurance side, and then eventually being, uh, you know, lucky enough to become the CEO of VSP for a couple of years. And then now back, uh, back, relocated back to New York. Uh, and I'm the CEO of a company called Healthy Eyes Advantage. And what we do is we support 10,000 independent eye care professionals with their purchasing. And um, for me, I, since I've been in the industry now 22 years, it's been a very fun run and been very, uh, I, I just really enjoy the industry because there's a, the purpose that everyone has every day coming into work is helping people see. It's the doctors that really do the work and help them see, but we all are working for companies and for businesses that play a role in that. And if, if you've ever had the opportunity, and I know you have uh, to watch someone, you know, put glasses on for the first time or, uh, you know, at different charity events, there's nothing like it because they've been living their, their life in a, in a blur. So getting to be a part of this industry, I love, and, and I, I, I refer to it now or joke about it and say, I always call it the hotel California of industries. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. So, you know, I've, I've had some, I've had some really wonderful, um, experiences from a from a mentorship perspective, learning again from from leaders that I've worked for, uh, that you know taught me things that I wanted to emulate and go forward and do, and then things that I said, well, you know what, I'd really try to handle that situation differently. 
And and honestly, and this is not just because we're on on this podcast of yours and talking about it. One of the greatest mentoring experiences I ever had was the one we we that we established a few years ago um, after coming back from the uh, the walk on the Camino, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit too. But when we sat down, I had I had been in this mentor role a couple of times where people had come in and said, "Oh, I'd I'd love to have you mentor me or spend time with me." And most of the time, it was more one directional, like wanting to uh, you know wanting to understand you know what does it take to get to be a CEO and all this. But the way you laid it out in the beginning was this is going to be bi-directional, <laughs> and it was you who said it. Said, "Listen." I, you know, I want to hear from you and I want to help, you know, and I want to, you know, I, and I want help and, and want to continue to move my career forward, but I want to help you however I can. And there's a number of, there's a number of examples during our, our sessions where we talked, where you were able to provide a perspective for me, whether it was in dealing with the board at VSP or, or dealing with peers, uh, that was extremely helpful to me. So I, I think that that really lit a light bulb for me that, you know, mentor, mentorship isn't one in one direction. It's 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 something that you're going to get from that both parties are going to get something from, and and uh, you know thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think it I think it did. It began for us on the you know doing the Camino and 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 taking that walk for five days. That's also another thing I've learned. I've I've participated in a couple of uh, uh, business development or personal development things where uh, the meetings are held outside or the meetings are held during a hike. And, you know, five or 10 years ago, I would have been like, what? That's not what you do. You, you get in a conference room, you close the door. But I, the, the difference, uh, the difference in doing that, there's a guy in the industry, Bart Foster, who runs these like meetings outside and meetings while hiking. And it's, it is really exciting. And it's amazing, the conversation, like we found on the Camino. You know, you're out there and you're trudging along and you're working hard all day. It, it, it kind of makes the conversation uh better and it flows it flows in a nice way so I, I've really enjoyed um, being a mentor and I've been, enjoyed being mentored uh, throughout my career and, and I've really been lucky and blessed to, to have great great mentors in my life and and, uh, and and I include you in one of them and, and like I said Al Berg and, and a lot of other people that have have made a major impact in my life. Yeah, so just to give the listeners a little backstory on <laughs> some context to Camino and cross mentorship. So um, this was, I think, 2016. So we're almost approaching five years now. Um, at that time, Jim was the CEO of VSP, and I was a very new person into corporate America. I think it was my second year. So I was an individual contributor, you know, fresh out of grad school, you know, lots of ideas and ambition. And Jim did these weekly videos um, to the organization where he talked about what was going on, what's happening in the company. You know, I really admired how much vulnerability you'd show in those videos because you talk about what you're reading, what happened in the news that week, you know, and then big strategic things going on. But one of the things Jim shared in those videos was an opportunity that he had VSP support was which to walk with um, Bill Barkley in um, the Camino de Santiago. And so Bill is blind and he was walking the whole Camino, which is a 30 day process. Um, and Jim really wanted to show our support in that and decided to 
go with him, his wife, and then a few people from VSP on the last 10 days of that journey. And so they were going to select one person from the company. I think at the time VSP had about 6,000 employees. And when I heard of this story and what VSP was doing, what you were doing, I just knew I had to be a part of that. So obviously I applied. Unfortunately, I didn't get selected, <laughs> but <laughs> that it didn't stop there. So I reached out to Jim and said, hey, you know, I would be happy to pay for my trip. I just want to come along and support. Thankfully, he said yes. And as Jim mentioned, um, you know, we had a lot of outdoor meetings during that time as you're walking 10 to 20 miles per day. And so that really allowed, I think, the relationship to develop, which I think is so beneficial when selecting a mentor. Um, instead of kind of cold calling people, like there really needs to be this trust there. And I think that's really where, for me, the trust was built in like, okay, this is a this is a real leader and a real person that I want to have influence my life. So once we came back, um, I definitely knew I wanted Jim to be my mentor, but I also don't know where the crazy idea came from was like, I need to give something to this conversation. So I approached Jim and said, Hey, can we do this as a cross mentorship? And I want to mentor you, which as I look back was quite crazy. I don't know, you know, <laughs> why an individual contributor with two years of experience would mentor the CEO, but thought it was a good idea. And thankfully you said yes to that. Um, there's no, I mean, it was honestly, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a credit to you. It's a credit to who you are. It was, it was exactly the right thing. And if I could just quickly, um, you know, say he tells the backstory and I'm going to, I'll add the part. Yes. We, you know, we had people write a story and we selected and, and, and Sadie's story was great and it was really close and we wish we could have brought everybody uh, but, you know, there's two things, there's a, there's a bunch of things to learn in there. One, she didn't just let it be like, okay, I didn't get selected. I'll, I'll go on. She actually reached out and said, Hey, I still want to be a part of this group. And honestly, anybody can walk the Camino. So it would have been hard for us to, to say no. And we were in the end, uh, you know, for us, if you talk to everybody who was with us, Bill, uh, the three guys that came with him from Michigan that did the full Camino that we joined up with for the last five days, there's not one person that was on that walk along with the other VSP people that wouldn't say, thank goodness Sadie was there. She added so much value. She brought an energy. She brought a spark. And I think that it, I think it takes, there's, it takes courage or it takes guts or it takes just a willingness to put yourself back there. Like you said, you liked in the videos, the vulnerability, but what you did was vulnerable too. Like I could have said, Oh no, that's not really right for you to come and blah, blah, blah. But you, because of the way you put it and the and the positive way you approached it, it was outstanding. And same thing with the mentorship, the way the way you put it, it wasn't like, well, yeah, you know, yeah, we, I'm, mean, you're going to mentor me, but I'm going to mentor you. It was the way you put it and the way we talked about it. And I realized, wow, that's, I mean, that's really smart because a lot of times, folks that are in a CEO or a senior leadership role, a lot of times it's a lonely place because you don't necessarily you feel uncomfortable necessarily talking to your peers if you have a boss you don't want to show oh you know I don't know how to figure this out or I'm having this problem and but with you it was I was it, I was just able to very comfortably say oh you know I'm I'm having a tough time getting this point across to the board and you said well you know I don't know the board or what they're but you'd say have you tried this have you tried this direction or have you tried this and it was extremely helpful 
and you know the the only the only other person I remember in a, from that mentorship role who I she was great um, too. She came in into my office and I said, "So what do you want to what do you want to do with this mentorship and how do we want to do it?" And she said, um, "She said, well, basically, I want your job." <laughs> and, I, and I said, "I said, do you want it now?" Because pretty pretty much there were definitely days where I'd say, "Here you go, you can have it." But I, I just think it comes back to that. It's that courage. It's putting yourself out. You, you, what you said about trust is so important, right? You have to have a trust-based based relationship in order to feel comfortable being vulnerable and talking about things that you don't feel uh, you don't feel strong about, or you don't you don't you, you can't make a decision on. That's that vulnerability and that trust come hand in hand. So you know, really good points that you that you made there. And as, as people are thinking about selecting their mentor and thinking about where they go. Very, very helpful and, and, and important to, to develop that relationship. So like you said, maybe not everyone's going to get to go walk the Camino for five days and 75 miles in the pouring rain with Locke telling you it's flat and there's a five mile hill. But there's, um, you know, there's plenty of time to go, go have lunch, go have a coffee, go for a walk, you know, just take a walk in, in, in a local area because hopefully your mentor someone uh, now that, that hopefully COVID gets behind us here we can start having, you know, face-to-face -face mentorship type meetings. And, and, uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's really important. It's important to, like you said earlier, give back for, for the people that have, have supported you and helped you. And it's also important for you in a mentor role uh, to be able to continue to grow and learn and hear from people that you may not be talking to. Like, like Sadie said, the folks that were on the, on the, on the walk with us herself, the two other folks that worked at VSP, some of the some of the film crew, a lot of us, most of us would have never spent five days, five days together in the pouring rain, walking, sleeping in barracks. You know, it, it was it's one of those great you know, one of those situations I'll never forget in my life. It was a, a defining moment. But there are other ways to connect and, and make sure you do and 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 start your start your mentorship with a with a basis of trust or a foundation of trust. Yeah, I really think that's the key there is that that trust aspect. And I love the point too you made, which is, you know, sometimes being a leader and being at the top can be a lonely process. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I know within my organization, I want to hear from the members and the people on the front lines. And you know, I think that's a call if you're like, hey, I want to reach out to this person, you know, and do a cross mentorship, but not sure what their response will be. Most likely it's going to be quite positive because they want to hear from you. Exactly. And a lot of it's hard to get that courage. But for the leaders out there who are saying, hey, I want my employees to come to me and to, you know, share their feedback. One of the things I'll just say is you did such a great job of you know, sharing that vulnerability, establishing trust where, you know, I could give you real feedback about what's going on and not worry, like, this is a CEO, I could get fired. <laughs> no, you're, it's, that's a great point. It, 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 so we talked about trust and vulnerability, but a lot of leaders will say, oh, I, I have an open door policy, or, you know, I, I'm always available or talk to me. Well, you, you have to walk that talk, right? If you, if you're going to open yourself up, then you can't be like, oh, what is this person doing at my office? Or why is this person calling me? Or why are they texting me, even though I gave them their number and said, text me anytime you have a question? You, you, you have to walk that talk because otherwise, then, then the trust starts to break down. And then 
the, the, the mentee or, you know, is, is not going to be as vulnerable. And then you're clearly not showing your vulnerability. So, you know, if, if you're not the per type of person, don't, don't feel, I think, forced to do it. Not everybody, not everybody's comfortable being open, being vulnerable. I've definitely worked for, worked for people like that. And then, then you have to get other things out of that relationship with them, right? You have to, you have to learn, like, I, I remember working for a guy where I think, okay, well, so why is he that way? And I think it was, he was, he was trying to be, you know, protective of say maybe his family or protective of the business. And in some ways I get it. Like you, you can't be too, you know, you can't go too far where you're, <clears throat> where you're sharing things you shouldn't be, or you're, you know, putting things in jeopardy. So, you know, I learned from that, but if you want to do this and you want to have successful mentorships and, and relationships like this, you are going to have to be open and, and willing to share. Yeah. And I'm curious if this has ever backfired on you. So, you know, you had, you've had a very open door policy. Um, you respond to pretty much all emails, I believe. I'm not putting that, now I'm putting you on blast here. <laughs> so anyone mm -hmm. can contact you. But has that ever, have you ever had to set more boundaries or has that ever backfired on you in terms of having that open door policy? Yeah, it's a great, it's a really great question. I think not so much the, the open door policy, but making sure, like you said before, you you knew that you could pretty much say anything you wanted to me about what was going on in the business or or how I was acting about something or how I was looking at it and you knew I was going to take it with with the with the right you know with the right frame of mind and 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 act on it in the right way i think the only times where it backfired on me is is being so open and being so transparent and maybe too much so with a person who hadn't shown it back to me. Like in, in the example we keep using about how well we got to know each other and then how we started the, the mentorship, we already knew going in, this, this isn't gonna be an issue. We can pretty much say what we want and we're gonna do it. I think other times I maybe too quickly jumped to that point of trust and, and that would backfire. Like uh, the person didn't take it the right way or, took what I said the wrong way and ran with it a different. So that beginning part we're talking about and making sure that trust is there is really important. I, I don't, I don't can't think off the top of my head of anything. Like no, there was no time where I ever said, well, I wish I had a different style or I wish I wasn't so available and open to people, but definitely um, take the time. Don't, don't feel that you can do it immediately, like right away that you, you can start sharing everything, you know, your life story and your life history and, and, and all these things that are, you know, are maybe more, um, more there for someone that you have a deep level of trust with. That's what I, that's what I would say. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And uh, Brene Brown talks about this a lot of, you have almost a jar of trust coins and tokens, right? And mm -hmm. to have that vulnerability and share it, little tokens have to be added to that jar first before you can then share it back. And I think, I like that. you know, it, we know the power of vulnerability and obviously Brene Brown writes about it and speaks of it mm -hmm. a lot, but that doesn't go to say you don't need to build that trust there first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you think about, 
And then another author that I think you know that I, you know, I'm a, a big uh, Patrick Lencioni fan, and he has a bunch of great books, you know, Five Dysfunctions of a Team and The Ideal Team Player. And if you look at Five Dysfunctions of a Team, right at the bottom, at the foundation of the pyramid of a team is trust. And, you know, you, I, I think I approach most situations in my life where I, I want to trust immediately. And that was sort of the point I was making is that um, you, I want to just trust immediately and go and say, okay, let's go, whatever it is, whether it's building a team and a new project or something like that. But you can't necessarily do that because not everyone is, is comfortable with that yet. And if you haven't made that connection, it, it can backfire. But that, that's, that's so important, that trust foundation, because we, I think you probably went through it when we were at VSP together, but we, we did a lot of training around the speed of trust because it's amazing in business beyond mentorship when you have trust between fellow employees or trust between business partners the speed at which you can get things done is enormous and when you think about all the situations in our life whether it's personal or business or team members when there is a lack of trust how much it slows everything down because you're you have to go back through you have to prove everything you have to write all these CYA memos and blah, blah, blah. Like it slows the world down. You know, if we can just trust each other that we have the same goal in mind. But I, the, the caution is take the time to make sure it's there and to make, take the time to make sure both sides are feeling that way before you go too fast. And because going, you know, going too fast comes with its own, own issues as well. Yeah, it's, it's, a little bit counterintuitive, right? So, you know, The Speed of Trust is a great book um, that Jim <laughs> recommends, but before you can get to that speed, it does take some time to build that trust. So don't, don't, don't miss that first step. Right. Yeah, so I want to switch gears a little bit. Sure. You have a technical background in engineering, but mm -hmm. you know, if you look through your Jim's LinkedIn, it's just CEO after CEO. So he's been a CEO for a long time. Can you talk a little bit about making that transition from a technical background into leadership? How do you think that technical background has benefited you? And you know, was it hard to make that transition? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, and something I love talking about, you know, I think back in the day, you know, back when I first started working, graduated college in 1984, if you looked at the typical path to CEO in a lot of companies, it was usually either through the finance organization or in, in some companies that were very sales focused, the sales uh, organization. Like I always remember IBM, a lot of IBM CEOs over the years had come up through their, through their sales. But I think in today's world, I've always, I've referred to it. I know there's somebody else that there's somebody else out there that always says this too, and, and I'm not, you know, a, a much more, uh, much more famous CEO, but to me, a technical background, every company in the world today is a technology company. Like I look healthy eyes advantage that where I am today, we're a group purchasing organization for doctors. So we help negotiate deals with frame suppliers and contact lenses or whatever. But at the core of what we do, it's our technology. It's managing all these files coming in from vendors and billing doctors. And you need to have streamlined technology. And if you don't understand it, and, and, and your IT team has to spend all this time explaining to you. And as, you know, I've seen a lot of people over the world over the time where they just throw their hands up to it. Like, I, I can't even speak this, what this IT person is saying. And, but I, I think back, 
So your question is perfect. I think now having a technology background is absolutely critical in the C-suite because it's every company is a technology company. But back in the day, when I left consulting in, in 99 and took my first corporate C-level job at Marshawn as their first CIO, I remember, so CIO stands for Chief Operating, Chief uh, Information Officer. And I remember um, Al Berg saying to me, you know, you're going to present in front of the whole company. They're not going to know what a CIO is, so you're going to have to explain it. <laughs> so I had seen someone do a presentation and the, the part of it was, so I said, I'm the CIO. Let me explain what a CIO. CIO stands for career is over. <laughs> and I had seen this guy present the CIO because most of the time the CIOs in businesses, they get these major IT projects that go horribly wrong and mm -hmm. ends up costing them their career. So that was the that was the joke. But then I heard someone else say CIO stands for I before E, meaning you go from a CIO to a CEO, because if you look at, and, and you know this for a fact too, because I think this at VSP, I remember this at Marshawn. When you look at most companies, yes, the, the CEO, the COO, the chief financial officer, they really understand the business. But if you really want to understand the nitty gritty of how a business operates, talk to the IT people mm -hmm. who've built the systems that operate the business. A lot of times, I, I mean, I remember at Marshawn clearly, where Al was in a meeting talking about how something worked and how the discounts work. And the IT guy was sitting there, and, you know, one of the guys that worked for me, and then he'd say something now like, okay, are you done? This is how that works, right? We take X times Y minus, and, and, and Al's looking. The, the businesses, the business world today runs on technology. So people that have started their career in, in, in the technology background, I also think engineering for for students, you know, because I'm sure you have students that, that are part of your group and look into it. If you have a strong math and science background, I don't think there's a better foundational undergraduate major than engineering. You don't have to build bridges and, and uh, design circuits for your whole life. You, you know, you can use those skills, as I feel I have, to move into the business side of things. Uh, but having that technical understanding and that problem solving is really, really helpful. Yeah, I you know, they often say there's nothing new under the sun. And I'm seeing a lot of parallels with your story and what's happening in the data science AI space. You know, a lot of data scientists, when they come into a company, have to define their job, right? Because no one knows what that is. Right. And then just yesterday, I read that, you know, 85% of data science machine learning projects fail. So you're talking about your career being over, right? There's <laughs> but you know, I think, as you mentioned, every company really is a technology company and not only mm -hmm. understanding uh, business is understanding the technology behind it, but the data that flows is like exactly. the blood of the body that keeps things moving. So mm -hmm. I'm excited about the future of data scientists in this space. And I think you've shown us a track record of how history may repeat itself, maybe an update of terms, um, mm -hmm. but definitely not an update of the pattern of the end result. Absolutely. Yeah. The terms, right. If they've changed over my lifetime or my career, right. IT had was, you know, it was electronic data processing. And when I first started working in consulting out of college at Arthur Anderson, it was the management information consulting division of Arthur Anderson, you know, so it does, it migrates. And now you have, you know, you had CIOs, but now you have 
chief technology officers, you have chief data officers. As you said, they, there was no such job back in 1984 as a data scientist, but exactly what you're saying, and you and I have talked about, um, he, even here, just in our business at Healthy Eyes Advantage, we look at this mountain of data we sit on around the purchasing habits of these 10,000 independents. There's so much to be learned there, and we're not we're not doing enough with it, and it's it's definitely something that's on our list. And I know you and I work together on projects at VSP, right? You look at a, a, an insurance company like a VSP or a United Healthcare or whoever, they're sitting on all this data related to people's health and helping them live better, healthy lives. We're just scratching the surface right now with what we can do with data science and and what what teams like Women in Data are doing, and 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 then data scientists within companies. It's just the beginning of, of a really, really exciting time. And you think about how much data every day is created now, even compared to 10 years ago or 20 years ago to, or when I graduated college. It's, it's, it's unbelievable and just a really exciting time. I was so happy to see when you, you know, when you made the move and, and started, you know, really focusing full time here at Women in Data. It's just so important. And the, and the role you guys play in the, in the, in the in the in the industries you support and the help that you provide it's 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 tremendous yeah so if you're a data scientist out there healthcare definitely take a look at because there is a lot of opportunity um, sure. of what can be done and you know what's better than helping people see i mean if you want something that you, you know has a purpose to your job and work data science and healthcare is a great opportunity for that absolutely absolutely well, Jim, I, I like to wrap up with one last question, which is um, if you had to give your younger self a piece of advice, what would that be? Sure. Yeah, I think um, there's there's another couple of authors that I, I really love. And I one of the things I've really enjoyed in the last couple of years is learning about purpose driven leadership. And I saw this guy, Richard Leiter, speak at a, a leadership development conference and he talked about, and I feel the same way, like as you're, he interviewed hundreds of executives that were towards the end of their career uh, or had just recently retired, right? So probably in, in, my, in my age range. And they asked, you know, what were the, what would the advice you give or are there any things you regret? And I think the three things are, are tied exactly to what he learned. One, I would say, definitely carve time out in your day to be reflective, spend some time in your day thinking, I know you do this. I know you do this really well watching, you know, watching some of the things you put on social media, you spend time thinking about, okay, what am I going to work on today? What else should I be focused on? I think it's really cool that, that you've adopted that because it's not an easy thing. It's very easy to just jump right in, get on. Okay. What emails came in? What do I have to deal with? And I, I think back to my time at IBM when you went into IBM and I think it's still to this day, you go look at people's desks there, they all have the word think on there. Mm -hmm. And that came from the second CEO, Thomas Watson Jr. He made them all put this word think in their cubicle because he said, first thing I want you to do in the morning is come in and think before you go. So be reflective, take that time out. It's not a lot. It's like we always, like we talk about, you know, don't, don't skip on your, on your exercise and keeping yourself healthy. Mm -hmm. Don't, you know, keep that sacred. Same thing before you're, you're, you get into your job, spend some time thinking. The other, the second one, and I agree with this too, that, that Richard's uh, book talks about is take more risks. Mm -hmm. 
it's very, very easy to be careful, right? Same, uh, and again, not to just keep coming back, use you as an example, it would have been very easy, like you could have sit there, you could have sat at your last company and said, plotted out a career for yourself and said, I can have a nice, steady life, a great technology career, someday I'll be a partner, blah, blah, blah. And you decided, no, you know what? I I'm not 100% thrilled with what I'm doing. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go do this full time and I'm going to make you know, this, this, uh, this great idea that I started uh, grow and, and, and get worldwide. That, that takes a lot of guts and it, it, but not enough, there's not enough risks, risk taking. And, you know, I think for me in the beginning, I was probably a little bit less risk averse, but I think back to, you know, when VSP bought Marshawn, you know, I lived in New York most of my life. My, my kids were there, my wife, and, you know, they, uh, the CEO at that point, Rob Lynch, said, would you move to California and run the iFinity office mate? And it would have been really easy to say, you know what, uh, I'm just going to stay and be the CIO at Marshawn and I like it. But Rob, thanks for the offer. But it, it was it was a risk to move your your family across the country and who knew what was going to happen. But it really it for me, it paid off. I got to meet such amazing people. I got so much opportunity that I would have never gotten if I would have just stayed in my seat. So take risks. And then the third one is, and because it obviously it ties into what Richard talks about in his books about purpose driven is I, you wish that you would have found your purpose sooner. Like, so for me, if I think about purpose, uh, there's two different things. There's, there's the things you like to do and, and kind of your calling. And, and, you know, we can talk about that, but for me, Finding the eye care industry and finding the people that are within the eye care industry. And as you said, the, the purpose that we have of helping people see, you know, I've been lucky that I've gotten to be here and be part of it for 22 years. But I don't know if I would have found it in the beginning, like I saw, um, I saw a gentleman post on LinkedIn yesterday, basically that he's worked in the eye care industry his whole entire life. But he doesn't, he doesn't regret it at all because he's loved it and because of that mission. So not every, you're not going to have that opportunity. And sometimes you're not going to find your purpose until you try different things. You, you, know, you might not know 100%. So, but what, what the book says or what, he, what Richard talked about in that talk was a lot of the execs says, oh, I wish I would have found this sooner. And I think for some, it may be, you know, it's those that were maybe mid to late 50s or, they, or they're in their 60s and like, oh, I finally found the thing I love to do that, you know, that's challenging. So the earlier you can find it, but definitely be more reflective, take more risks, you know, and, and, and find the things that you like and, and get out of the things you don't like quicker. You know, if, if you, there's a certain amount, look, it's work, right? It, it is spelled W-O-R-K, not F-U-N, but you should have fun at work. And if you're not, if you're not having fun though, and, and it's, it's not adjusting, get out, go do something else because you don't want to be miserable. You see too many people that just get complacent and, and then spend their life sort of dead in their job, dead in their chair and, and life's too short and there's too many fun and exciting things to do. Go find it, find your purpose. I couldn't agree more. And that's such a great note to end on. I really appreciate those three tips and, you know, definitely need to add a little bit more of each of those in my life all the time. So thank you so much, Jim. This has been fun. And I look forward to continuing to be mentored by you um, and learning. So thanks so much for joining us today. Same here. I look forward to your continued mentorship and, and really enjoyed the conversation and uh, happy to help however I can. Great. Thanks so much. 
everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I will be chatting with Jim McGran. Jim McGran is the chairman and CEO of Healthy Eyes Advantage. He's an engineer by training and recovering IT guy um, with 22 years experience in the eye care industry. This is a very special podcast episode as Jim is a mentor to me and we participated in a cross mentorship and just super inspiring, compassionate, vulnerable, um, purpose-driven leader. I'm so happy to have this conversation with you because there's a ton of nuggets in this conversation in terms of leadership, mentorship, cross-mentorship, how to transition from a technical space into a leadership role, and just some great book recommendations and pieces of advice. So hope you enjoy the podcast. 